you would turn with me to, to the second half of James 2. James chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 26 as we continue to take a journey through James and, and uh, James is writing to the churches of his day. He was probably something like a bishop over the churches. He was in, in Jerusalem with the Jerusalem church, but there were churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And so he sends this letter, which many think is a circular letter, a, cir- a letter that circulates and meant to circulate among the churches about how to live as Christians. What does it look like to live a Christian life in your neck of the woods in the Roman Empire? What does that look like? And uh, all along, he's, he's talking a little bit about uh, specific ethical issues, and, and James is not coming up with this all by himself. As I think I've mentioned before, James seems to be swimming in the waters of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, taking G- Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and, and applying it to, to the churches of his day. Uh, but also we have seen along the way that, that sort of the overarching theme of the book of James is that, that real faith results in genuine works. Real faith results in genuine work, seems to be what James is talking about. And so he's calling the churches to, to faith by having them work out in various ways their faith in, in the activities of daily life. And nowhere does James address that theme more pointedly than in these verses this morning. So let's look at them. James 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one, says to, one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do. And not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Complete our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we tackle this issue, which we sometimes wrestle with, Faith alone, and yet you want us to have faith in action. We pray that that you would help us to understand what faith is truly about, what true faith really looks like. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. What do James and Paul, Martin Luther, and contemporary society all have in common? Well, we're all part of a controversy, a problem over faith. Faith is a key doctrine in the Christian life. And yet, notice what Paul and James say about it, things that sometimes we take as contradictory. In Romans 3.28, Paul writes, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. But James goes and says in verse 24, you see that a person is, cons- is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Those appear to be very contradictory. Are we saved by faith alone? Are we saved by faith, but does it have something to do with works? How do we reconcile these two statements in God's inspired word? Well, Martin Luther once said that if someone could reconcile those two ideas, he says, I quote, I'll put my doctor's cap on him and let him call me a fool. Luther sided with the Apostle Paul. Justification by faith alone. And he called the book of James an epistle of straw. No weight to it. But what does this doctrinal controversy have to do with contemporary society? According to the research of the Barna Research Group, 80% of people in the United States call themselves Christians. But only 19% of them say that that has anything to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is Christian for them? For most, being Christian is either works-related, being good, going to church, helping people, or belief-related. I believe in God. In a sense, like Martin Luther, they're taking sides on this issue. So what should we do with this? I say, let's flip a coin. Really, really. Well, they're saying he's, he's on vacation one week and he's going bonkers and having his gambling and stuff like that. Well, just humor me for a few moments. So suppose we flip a coin and our coin lands on heads, which we have called justified by faith alone. Well, we'd find ourselves in good company. The Apostle Paul, Martin Luther, most of our Reformed forefathers and theologians. But again, around the corner there might be some lurking that are undesirable company like New Agers, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other cults, all of whom say, we believe in God. But notice what James says in verse 19. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. James says, even the demons believe in God. They believe Jesus was God's son and shuddered at that fact. So were they saved? Research tells us that not only do 80% of of Christians in America say they're Christian, but 90% say they believe in God. Is 90% of America saved? James appears to be addressing a religious intellectual who, who knows the facts, and he can recite the truth, 
about faith, but he, he doesn't really have a life that matches the facts. He believes God is one. That's the Jewish profession of faith, right? Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Here, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. That's a great profession of faith. James says, good, I'm glad you believe that. But even the demons know theology. Other intellectuals are skeptics. They try to, to mesh faith with our modern society, and so they try to reinterpret faith for the modern mind, and so they toss out stuff that, that doesn't fit with the modern mind, like miracles and the like. But ultimately, their faith isn't really faith at all. How do we know who is saved? Only by works that faith produces. That's James' point. Only by works that faith produces. Someone once said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see their results. Well, that's the major theme resonating throughout James. Results. Real faith results in genuine works. And nowhere does James more passionately argue and illustrate this theme than in our verses today. This passage forces us to to answer the penetrating question, if you say you believe like you should, why do you behave like you shouldn't? If you say you believe like you should, why do you behave like you shouldn't? If 90% of Americans believe in God, why aren't we a Christian nation? That faith's not showing. It's not producing. And James says that's not true faith. Simple belief by itself is dead. For James, there is no such thing as faith without action. Works are not added an added extra to faith any more than breath is an added extra to a living body. Action is inter, an integral part of who we are as Christians. So if we flip our coin and the coin lands on this side, James says, oh, just hold on a minute before you go too far with that. Can such faith save? Or in other words, James is saying, is unused, unexercised faith really saving faith? Well, suppose our coin lands on the other side, tails, justified by works. That would seem to fit us in, at first glance, with James' crowd, when he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. And yet we might find ourselves among humanitarian atheists, people who believe nothing, but they're do-gooders. They're always doing good for whatever particular reason they, or motive they might have. Or we'd find ourselves among some of the world religions, Mormons, Hindus, Muslims, all of whom are working their way to heaven. Working their way to heaven. Whether it's the five pillars or, or different steps up the ladder that they are taking to storm heaven, their job as believers is to work their way to God. And Paul, But now Paul jumps in. And Paul warns us about man-centered salvation. The danger of relying on ourselves, on our goodness, 
for our salvation. And if we rely on ourselves, Paul says we're doomed. And yet that's what most world religions say. Work your way up to God. That's what Hollywood preaches. That's what the general public believes. I just need to do a few good things, be a little bit better than the next guy. Be good, go to heaven. Not good enough, well, try again, especially if you're a reincarnationist. But what's worse is that this, such a theology is not only a man-centered salvation, but it's a Christ-less salvation. It makes Christ's death on the cross unnecessary. If we only have to do good to be saved, we might turn to God and say, sorry God, you didn't really have to go through the trouble of sacrificing your only son. The question also arises, are works apart from gratitude to Jesus Christ even acceptable to God? Are works apart from gratitude to Jesus Christ, even acceptable. John Calvin says, no works are acceptable. God only receives our works out of love like a parent or grandparent accepts the imperfect artwork of their child or grandchild and puts it up on the refrigerator. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and our righteous acts, filthy rags. No better than filthy rags. And Paul reminds us, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So if our coin lands on this side, we have to ask, do we have the moral strength? Remember, God demands perfection. Do we have the moral strength to save ourselves? And again, Paul reminds us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Quite a dilemma? Actually, none at all. Because Paul and James are looking at different sides of the same coin, thus the coin analogy. The coin of true faith. Paul looks at the passive side. Faith is received as an unearned gift of God. James looks at the active side. Faith once received is now exercised through good works, through grateful works. But the point is you can't split the coin of true faith. James uses the illustration of Abraham. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. You cannot split the coin of true faith. You know, a coin imprinted on only one side is not legal tender. A bank wouldn't accept it. And any attempt to pass it off as such would be considered fraud or counterfeiting. Similarly, one-sided faith, whether heads or tails, belief alone or works alone, is not true faith. God won't accept it. It's counterfeit. And we're only fooling ourselves and others, but not God. That's the argument that James is making here. Now, it's kind of based, both those verses that we started out with by Paul and James, use the same word. It's dikaio in the, in the Greek. It can mean justify or be, be righteous. And there, there's kind of two main definitions of dikaio. 
It can mean either to declare righteous, as in a legal proceeding when a judge declares someone not guilty, or it could mean to demonstrate as righteous by actions observable to others, so a person who actually shows themselves to be righteous by how they live. Now, I want to suggest to you that Paul and James are using justify in those two different ways. But again, they're actually two sides of the same coin. For Paul, justify is that we are pronounced righteous in the sight of God. But James takes it a step further and says, but then we are also proved righteous in the sight of others by how we live. We're not made righteous, but we show ourselves as righteous. Or you could put it this way, Paul's talking about how an unbeliever becomes a Christian. James is talking about how uh, someone who's a believer already lives as a Christian. Or to use the tree analogy that Jesus liked to use, Paul is, is talking about the root of salvation. Well, James is talking about the fruit of salvation. Paul is looking at the inward disposition, James at the outward actions. Paul is looking at God's part with the simple human participation of accepting that grace by faith. James is looking at the human part now that God has saved us. He helps us to live that faith in gratitude. So the only legal tender that's applied to our salvation account is the true faith that Jesus gives freely and we exercise gratefully. True faith is that which Jesus gives freely and we exercise gratefully. It's a two-sided faith and God looks at both sides. That's the point James is making here. And actually, Paul doesn't agree. If we just look at certain texts, we might make him look like he's disagreeing, but if we look at other texts, we find out he's not at all. Galatians 5, verse 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith. Aha, yeah, faith alone, right on, Paul. No, is faith expressing itself in love. Both, Paul says. You need both, faith and action. The Reformers agreed as well. John Calvin says, It's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone because it has to have action with it. And even Martin Luther, who liked to call James the epistle of straw, eventually agreed with James. He got his point. He says, faith is a living, restless thing. It cannot be inoperative. We're not saved by works, but if there be no works, there must be something amiss with faith. So people who say, I'm going to heaven because I believe in God, but don't, their lives don't show it at all, are sadly and eternally mistaken. And those who say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, but don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ from whom goodness comes, are fools. And not only many Americans, but many who call themselves Christians are fooling themselves gambling their eternal future on a one-sided coin. That leads us to some questions. And there are questions on both sides of the coins. First, questions of faith. Do we truly understand that we're sinners? Have we sincerely repented of our sins? 
And do we trust in Christ alone for our salvation? Salvation comes only from Christ alone through God's grace and accepted by our faith. But we can't stop there. Because Paul or James says we also have to have questions like this. Has this relationship then with Christ affected our lives and our lifestyles? Do we want to share Christ with others? Is ours a faith that works? We read question answer 21 of the catechism earlier. The, second question, the next question, 22, goes on and asks, what much must a Christian believe? All that is promised in the gospel, a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our universal and undisputed Christian faith. And then question 23 asks, what are the articles of these, this faith? And it responds with the Apostles' Creed. And I think it would be fitting for us to respond with the Apostles' Creed as well as a response to this passage. So would you stand with me? And let's confess together what we believe and then seek to put it into action in this coming week. Saying together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's respond in song by singing together when we walk with the Lord because we're reminded that it's in that song it's about trusting and obeying, right? Faith and works. Trust and obey. Both of those are what God wants us to have and, and the way he wants us to live. So let's sing the three stanzas, When We Walk the Lord. <laughs>